Real Men Connect, episode 123. What do you do as a parent when you do all the right things, but your child still ends up in the wrong place? What do you do if you've trained them up in the way they should go and they still depart from it? Or what do you do if you avoid provoking your children to anger, but their behavior provokes you to anger? Well, check out my interview with licensed counselor, author, and life coach, Carl Stewart, as he shares both his professional and personal experience on this very sensitive topic. Real Men Connect is next. If you're like most men in our audience, you're committed to becoming the man, husband, father, and leader God called and created you to be. But the truth of the matter is, you struggle with either finding the time or knowing where to start. That's exactly why I created the Real Men Spiritual Leader Blueprint to give you a step-by-step, easy-to-follow guide to spiritually leading your family, even if you're a new believer. Now, you can't buy the Real Men Spiritual Leader Blueprint, but you can get it for free by signing up for our free e-newsletter. By signing up, you will be notified anytime fresh content is added to my site, so you don't always have to visit my blog to stay up-to-date on the latest information. Now, to get your free copy of the Real Men Spiritual Leader Blueprint, just visit realmenconnect.com and simply enter your name and email address on the form on the page. So if you're tired of trying to figure it all out and fit it all in as the spiritual leader, provider, and protector of your family, don't miss your chance to discover how to be the man God called and created you to be. Sign up today at realmenconnect.com. Welcome to Real Men Connect. Are you ready to be the extraordinary man, husband, father, and leader God called and created you to be? Then get ready to receive wisdom and guidance from some of the country's most respected men of faith as you learn everything you need to know to go from good man to great man God's way. No judgment, no shame. Just real men with real challenges seeking real change. All for God's glory. Hello, mighty men of God, and welcome to the Real Men Connect podcast, where we help good men become great men God's way. I'm your host, Dr. Joe Martin, and every week we interview some of the nation's most respected and accomplished men of faith to find out what it really takes to become the kind of husband, father, and spiritual leader God called and created us to be. Each interview session is packed with practical, proven biblical principles you can immediately apply in your relationships, on your job, and in your community. Today we have with us Carl Stewart who is a counselor, speaker, and coach who works with men and couples who have been devastated by pornography and sexual addiction. Carl is the author of Porn Antidote, God's Secret Weapon for Crushing Porn's Grip. Now, Carl has made multiple appearances on the Real Men Connect podcast, and he can now boast having two of the most downloaded episodes on our podcast, episode number 27 and 29, The Porn Antidote, parts one and two. And if you haven't listened to those yet, make sure that you download them. Carl also serves as a faculty member on our private social media page for men called Real Men University, where he teaches a weekly lesson on how to live a lust-free life. And if you want to check that out on that university, just go to realmenuniversity.com. That's realmenuniversity.com and ask for permission to join. But today, I didn't ask Carl to join us to talk to us about pornography and lust-free living but rather about another topic that is very frustrating, particularly the good fathers and good parents, and that's dealing with prodigal children. When we talk about prodigals, we talk about those children who have strayed from what they've been taught and are either making poor choices or behaving poorly. Now, as a counselor, Carl has an extensive experience in helping repair and restore families that have been devastated by pornography and infidelity and other issues. 
But he, like many others, including myself, are not immune from dealing with the challenges in our own homes when it comes to our children. So today we're going to have a candid discussion about the topic and hopefully give you some helpful advice and direction in dealing with your own children. So, Carl, thank you for agreeing to be on the show again with us, brother, and welcome back to the show. Thanks, Joe. It's great to be here. And when I hear that introduction, I want to meet that guy. I'm going to be on here just <laughs> to build my ego up just to get that introduction, man. You know, one great thing about doing this podcast, call is that after having done so many episodes, now I have my favorite guests and kind of my go-to guests when it comes to different topics. You're one of them. Um, Cody Bobe is another one. And one of our mutual friends, Eric Terry. <laughs> um, now, I love the other interviews as well, but these are guys who I know um, they're on a different level. When I say a different level is that um, I don't really have to guide the conversation. I kind of just talk to you guys and let you guys lead me in the conversation because you guys are so forthright and so authentic when you share your information. So I'm excited about this topic because it's hard to get uh, it's hard to get guests to come in and talk about some of the dysfunction quote and I put that in air quotes in our own homes. You know, but they need to know that this is serious stuff. And so we don't shy away from that kind of stuff. So we're going to jump right in it because we're going to get rid of, we're not going to do the formalities. What's your favorite Bible verse? We're not going to even do the man up challenges today. We're going to spend as much time as possible um, covering this issue because, Carl, I know when you and I get together and we start talking, we don't even get to half the stuff (laughs) that we we plan on talking about, but we're going to let the Holy Spirit lead us on this one, man. Amen. Let's do it. Now, Carl, I know this isn't really a topic that we as ministry leaders and teachers and counselors or even coaches like to talk about because people just don't expect us to struggle with our own families. But this is Real Men Connect. So no subject when it comes to being a husband, father, or spiritual leader is off limits to us. So if you could discreetly share with us um, your daughter, Abigail's story and why you decided to come on the show today to talk to us about it. Sure. No, glad. And first of all, something I learned a long time ago, um, being a counselor, and I think I told you, my wife my wife is a counselor also. Okay, so we joke we have the perfect kids, perfect family, perfect marriage, you know, until we wake up, then it all goes away. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, but there's only two kinds of families. There's dysfunctional and really dysfunctional. You know, we are living in a fallen world, so it's here. It's, it's the willingness to kind of acknowledge it. And I'll share briefly with you, my daughter, she's 14. I'll share a little bit of her story. Um, over the past two years, she's went in a really hard place. There were some really hard things happened with where she was, and she literally shut down. She was, um, she was having a form of narcolepsy, so she was up all night. She would fall asleep about 5 a.m., so she was up all night by herself, then slept all day. It was just a really kind of dark place and shut down, and you know, there was some depression in there and just a lot of anxiety and anger that came with that. And that really stretched me because, I mean, being a counselor, I know what to do. I'm a Christian counselor. I know even more what to do. And God took me right to the place where I did not have the answers. I could not fix it. And I don't like that helplessness. It really humbled me. Um, and so with that, and first of all, the good news is she's in a much better place now. Been a lot of healing and just watched the light of the Lord really come through her. But to be in that place where you're watching your child that is really in a, just a dark spot and um, can't find a way out, just to go through day by day not knowing what to do, it is helpless. It is draining. It is terrifying because it's not just trying to figure out your 401k. This is something that means more to you than anything else. You will give your right arm and leg for this child that you love, and you can't get him out of a, out of a hole. Um, so I say that just to identify with parents that are out there as a counselor, I work with those people in my practice. I used to be a drug rehab counselor. 
Um, it's just a hard place when you're watching somebody you love really in pain and stuck in a hole. It's just an anguish you can't put words to unless you've gone through some level of it. You know, and you you describe that perfectly. And I know when it comes to parenting, because um, they hear something like Abigail's story and say, okay, um, you know, she's battling on narcolepsy and, and she's um, depressed, which we know a lot of teenagers, especially at that age. I have a, a 14 year old who deals with a lot of struggles with being in, and now she's in high school because she just left middle school. And, but we have, there's a spectrum of different problems that could lead to being a prodigal. It's not just a person going out there robbing banks. Right. (laughs) And so that's that's my child. They range. Like I know with my son, um, I have a, a 20 year old son and his issues, some of his issues based on people who know me, um, when he went off to college, you know, he knows how I, like, I've never taken a drink of alcohol. I don't do any of that stuff. My son went off to college and he started drinking. And now it wasn't excessive drinking where he was abusing alcohol, but even the fact that he grew up knowing the dysfunction that alcohol has caused in our family, it shocked me and everyone else that he would even consider drinking. Right. You're like, you know better. How did you get yeah, here? How did you get there? And, you know, and watching him go through that. And then, you know, when he went off to, to college, you know, and my son and I are really, really close. I mean, we have a very, very close relationship. And he went off to, to college and he, he wouldn't attend church. He wouldn't be reading his Bible. And I'm thinking, who's, whose kid is this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, this what happened? Kid? Yeah. What happened to him? And so it doesn't have to be extreme cases, but in your line of work, you've seen some extreme cases. And you had mentioned one in particular to me before we even came on the air um, about someone who lost a child who was a prodigal. Did you mind sharing a little bit about that story? Yeah, of course, I, I want no, no identifying details, but there's there's a family I'm working with, and uh, I, I met them probably a year ago, and they came in, and their adult son was in full-blown addiction and just life ravaging and falling apart, and they love this kid, and they're literally racking their brains to find what they could do. Are they setting too many boundaries, or they're not helping enough. And just, you could see the anguish, the pain in their eyes, because this kid kept on getting in more trouble than disappearing. Well, I didn't hear from them for about a year. And then uh, literally the week, I think it was was the right after Christmas, the Friday after Christmas, they found their son dead in his apartment. And it's devastating, because this is somebody they raised in the Lord, and he got involved in addictions. I think there was some anxiety and depression and some clinical things going on. That's a different issue. But to watch them look at, you know, here's their son that has passed away. He didn't commit suicide, but his addiction is what led to his death. And just the helplessness of wondering what could they have done differently. Um, that they can't, it, it, this is so final, there's no way of going back. And so it's not always the Hallmark movie where you get to see the child come back and the prodigal father embraces the child. Uh, that happens a lot of the time, uh, but there are times when God will let, like the rich young ruler, he'll let them walk away and not really come back. Uh, good news with, with this family, their son did uh, come back in a way and had a lot of healing in the Lord. Um, they get to, so they know he's with the Lord, but he fell back off that wagon um, and it's just, it's a tragic, devastating end. And to watch the Lord walks, he'll walk with us through the valley. And that's the hard part. God will allow these things to happen. And Joe, when you understand that part, let me know how loving hey, God. You're trying to figure that out, brother. Yeah. I mean, that's about my pay grade, but he, no matter what, I think that's why his biggest promise is I'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll walk with us through it and comfort us in our deepest grief, which he understands. 
Um, but man, just to sit with people and, and look in their eyes and that it's a hard place. And see, Carl, and um, see, the reason why I asked you to share that about him, because I, I want the listener out there, I want these guys to listen that the spectrum of issues range. We're talking about from drinking, depression, addiction leading to death and anything in between that spectrum. It really doesn't matter. The issue, the problem is, is what we're trying to focus on is we're not talking about the parents who are disengaged from their children. We're not talking about the parents who've abandoned um, their children or abused their children, have anger management issues and that kind of stuff. We're talking about the parent who is involved, engaged, building a relationship and the kids still end up, like you said, either dysfunctional or really dysfunctional. <laughs> right. Like what happened? And so, so I'm glad that um, they're at least getting the idea that we're not talking about a specific problem that a child is dealing with. It's more of a mindset in their choices. Now, Carl, as parents, um, we would like to believe that if we're following the Lord and we're setting good examples for our children, like we, like I just described, and we, quote, do everything right and do it God's way, that we shouldn't have any problems with our children. Now, I personally believe that's faulty thinking. But one, do you agree? And if so, if you do agree that that's faulty, why do you believe it's faulty thinking? Yeah. It, oh, that is so seductive, that way of thinking, because it gives us um, the, this illusion of control. I can control the inputs. We can do all the right things, but ultimately, we're not God. And these people that God's given us have their own will, their own thinking. They go through adolescence. They go after college. And so it is, you know, we, we do our best to give them that grounding. I go back to, was it Proverbs 27? Train up a child in the way they should go. When they're old, they will not depart from it. Between being young and being old, they may depart from it. Our job is to pray for them along, even along the way to draw them back. I mean, Franklin Graham, I think, you know, was, was rebellious and went off the reservation and has come back. But yeah, our, it, it's, it's these families that are doing all the right things. And so when a child rebels, when the parents have done all the right things, the parents feel gypped. They feel violated by God because I've done these right things. I've raised them in church. I've taught them to pray. And yet they make the choice. Again, they go off to college and drink or they you know, go worse places. Um, so it's really devastating. And I think that takes us to a different place in our walk with the Lord of really having to get face to face on our lack of control. You know, when I, I think about what you're saying, all we have to do is kind of go back and we go back to the Bible. When you mentioned about the, the, the rich ruler's son, they never say anything about the, um, the father being a horrible father. You know, if anything, it seemed like he was he did a great job with his raising his sons. And this son was a prodigal. But also at the same time, we kind of missed this. His, the son who even stayed with him seemed to be dysfunctional <laughs> and how he treated his brother when his brother returned home. And so we don't we don't ever read that story and say, wow, what a horrible father that that that, that man was. We look and we examine the children because just like you said, uh, call that they they have their own will. They have their own thinking and what they do. And, I, you know, I remember somebody told me once about when I was putting a lot of pressure on my son. I said, I don't understand why my son is doing this and he knows better. And we and we talk open and honestly about it, but it just doesn't make any sense to me. And somebody reminded me of this. They said, Joe, um, Adam and Eve, who was their father? <laughs> I said, God, he said he was the perfect father. Look how dysfunctional his kids turned out. Right. And they had one rule. 
They had one rule in the garden. There was <laughs> no right. sin. There was no lack. And they still blew it. And they still blew it. <laughs> exactly. So uh, we tend to put a lot of uh, pressure on us. Which kind of leads to my, my next question for you, Carl. Now, I've seen, quote, good parents usually go to one or two extremes. Okay. And you've probably seen it too. Either they're in denial okay, about the role they play in their children's lives in those bad choices. Or they tend to go to the other extreme and they take too much of the blame for their children's behavior. What do you think is a more, I guess, healthy line of thinking that we as fathers and as parents should adopt? It's a great point because we can go either direction of I had nothing to do with it because it's too scary to look at my accountability or I try and take it all on me so I can feel this uh, feeling of control, even though it's devastating. Um, so I go back to just the verse of, okay, Lord, what's the log in my own eye? I did not take my child's hand and make them do this, but how did I influence this by maybe exacerbating them, by not giving enough uh, boundaries or relationship? The Holy Spirit will show us where He wants to work on us. He's very efficient in crisis. He'll expose things that never would have been seen in the child, in me, and changing me. Um, the hardest part, like, like you saw with your son, is accepting they've got their choice. And so it's really letting the Lord show us where I'm going too far, and He'll put people in our lives to help convict us of that. That's why we're, we're, we're told, you know, if you don't discipline your child, you hate him. But also fathers, don't exacerbate your child because they'll rebel. Absolutely. So, yeah, so the Bible is very explicit to us. But the thing is, we have to, like you said, um, pursue the Holy Spirit to ask him to reveal it to us. Um, I remember in one of our men's groups, um, we were talking, we were talking about these prodigal children. I love being in men's groups because we get real in our groups and we all know that we're struggling with trying to be the best parents we possibly be. And also at the same time, I don't want to paint this horrible picture. Even when you were going through your, uh, your ordeal with Abigail, at the same time, we know that we could still see God's grace in it because it could have been a lot worse for Abigail. And you watch God move and restore her. And so even though it could be, we could be going through a storm, if we really pay attention, we can find traces of God's grace in even the storm. Well, even that, in, in fact, I think we see his grace even more in the storm because I would never want Abigail to go through that again. I don't want to go through it again, but the fruit that has come from it is amazing. My daughter came to me and she says, Dad, I've got a testimony. I'm not just a church kid. You know, I, I wrestled with God and I know he pursued me. And for it took me personally, the log in my eye, God showed me how arrogant I was. I thought I could fix it. I thought I could do this. And God took me to the flat end of myself. And I'm so thankful to see his hand, his grace that is not dependent on me pushing the right buttons. Um, so, you know, he, he's right in the middle of all this. You know, I think as we seek the Holy Spirit to kind of, like you said, look for that log in our own eyes. A lot of times we don't hear from God because we're not asking God the right questions. And to me, I know when I'm dealing with my son or even my 14-year-old daughter, like the same age as Abigail, is that I'm asking God, uh, God, what will you hold me accountable for, for doing? And I was mentioning about even with our, our men's group, um, I made a statement in our group one day. I said, you know what? We're really stressing out over our children here. I said, but do you realize that God is going to hold us responsible and accountable for what we pour into them, but he's going to hold them accountable for what comes out? And so we have to ask God, God, what are we pouring into? Are we, are we planting good seed? Are we planting bad seed? Like you said, to reveal to me the role that I'm playing, that's all I can control is what I do. And so God revealed to you. Now, I'm going to ask you a, a really tough question because and you've dealt with your clients, but I'm going to play 
um, put on stand on their side of the fence. Well, I could see, Carl, that with you and Abigail, you learned a lot, and now it's been restored, and now your relationship with Abigail is so much better. But, Carl, I lost my child as a result of this. What is God trying to show me in this? What what good could come out of this? You know them better than we do. What Now, knowing these people, what good have you seen come out of this for them? There, It's a great question because there's no words you can offer there. There's no logic to say, well, God's going to make all these wonderful things. He will, but the folks that, that let the Lord, the key wrestling with the Lord, there is a depth of intimacy with the Lord, mm-hmm. with the peace that doesn't make sense. There's still sorrow, but there's a deeper experience, really, uh, of, of even connecting with the Lord, because He knows that feeling of letting your son suffer, die, watch, and not do anything. He chose helplessness. And so there's just a different kind of understanding um, and not just logical, but there's a deeper comfort and connection that you can't put to words that comes through that. And there is a comforting. There is a bringing out of that dark place. There's always a sadness there. But I watch folks that come through this where, where there's, the way they described it, just like with Abigail, I wouldn't want to go through it again. But what the Lord has done in me has been so precious. You know, it takes, I think of Job. He lost everything. He lost his kids, lost livestock. When God gave them all back to him, I think they all meant a lot less because his heart was changed. There was just a depth of closeness and life that comes from the Lord. And that only comes sometimes through the suffering. Uh, we want the fruit of it, but I hate the process. Now, and I don't even know if this is a fair question to ask, but I'll ask it anyway. You just tell me, Joe, that's not a fair question to ask. Go but, for it. Um, because like you said, we want the best for our children. I mean, we, we don't want to see them suffer. Who wants to see their child suffer? And at, a lot of times, like you said, there's nothing we really can do. But before it spirals out of control, and based on your experience, I don't know if you can answer this or not, but is there a, a healthy way for us to see and uncover some blind spots um, being a father before our kids stray off the path? If that, if that makes sense? Like, is there anything that we could be looking for? Because no, we can't. God's sovereign and what's going to happen is going to happen. But also, are we are there ways that we're missing signs that could say this could potentially lead to something if you don't intervene? Sure, great question. And that's there are times yes, and sometimes you don't know until the kid goes off and has their freedom and they're thinking on their own, and mom and dad aren't right there. Um, but really, it's a function of of your relationship with them. Meaning, it's not just the rules and are they behaving? Are you in their world? Are they willing to talk to you about the good, the bad, the ugly? Can you handle hearing the good, the bad, the ugly? Um, So that's one part of making it very safe for them and asking the questions and listening. If your child tells you, yeah, you know, I was looking at pornography because this guy gave it to me, I'm not going to be happy about it. But if you tell me, I want to, I want you to know it's safe to do that and we'll deal with it. So doing that, but also be willing to look. You mentioned earlier denial. We don't want to think of our kids being in trouble. Are we willing to even consider that and investigate, look at their history, their texts, or look at what's going on? Um, I'm very much aware of we do this, and I know parents that have come in here with the same idea. They ask the Lord to, to let their kids get caught if they do something, bring it to the light early. Um, we got to be willing to look at it, but deal with it in love, not just squashing behavior. Squashing behavior means we get better at hiding and playing the game. You know, Carl, um, I just went out on a, I took my daughter out on a date. Um, I guess it was, was it Saturday? Yes, yeah, Saturday. And um, 
you know, we, we have a lot of discussion. She's the same age as Abigail and we had gone to a play. And so I decided, <laughs> I can tell people right now, they're going to say, dude, you went there with your daughter. <laughs> the whole topic was about sex. <laughs> All right. <laughs> now I'm hoping Amanda doesn't listen to this. You talked to her about, but, but we had a very candid discussion about sex where she pretty much can ask me anything and I can ask her anything, which tells you the kind of relationship we have that she allowed me to ask her anything. And so we had, we brought, I brought up this, um, the topic of about the debate that parents have. And I told Faith, I said, Faith, you know, a lot of times as parents, we get into conflict with other parents. She said about what? I said about whether we're being too controlling of our kids or do we allow them too much freedom? And she says, I said, there's, there's arguments on both sides that if you're not strict to, on your kids, they're going to get into all kinds of stuff, you know. But if you're not allowing your kids freedom when they get away from you, if you're being too strict, they're going to go crazy when they leave. And so, of course, my son came up as a topic, you know, is that, well, you know, look at, you know, look at my son. He went and he started drinking, you know, when he didn't do it. But we weren't overly strict parents. And so I asked her, I said, Faith, what do you think about that? And what would you say to parents? You know what she told me, Carl? She said, Dad, my thing is I would tell the parents, no, don't be overly strict with your children, but they should have boundaries. Now, this is my 14 year old. She said, they should have boundaries. But then she told me this, and I'm like, wow. She says, Dad, but the thing that I would tell parents is that make sure that you allow them to return if they screw up. That's what she told me. And I haven't even told her mom about this, but she says, I said, what do you mean, Faith? She says, Dad, he said, I'm not saying I'm going to go off to college and go crazy. He said, Matter of fact, he said, I'm not, he said, I don't even want to taste a drink because she's no, she knows what alcohol has done in our family as well. But she said, Dad, but I can't sit here and tell you that I'm not going to do something that you and mom don't approve of. I, I'm not going to be able to sit here and tell you that I'm not going to get in trouble. I'm not trying to get in trouble. And you guys have taught me well. But Dad, what I do hope that if I screw up, that you guys allow me to come back. And the, that, that's a great, great word because it's, you know, when you talk about how to, you know, be a prodigal parent, love the prodigal back. I go back to the relationship. If you know you're loved, no matter what, can you love me? If you know I'm drinking, if you know I got into drugs, if you know I got pregnant, if you know all the whole list of things, if you can, if if I really believe, not because you told me, but relationally, do I pick up you love me and can accept me and cherish me as I am where I am? That's attractive. That gives me something to hang on to to come out of the the, the that dark place or that prodigal behavior. Now, that was the big risk that the prodigal son took back. He was hoping to come back and maybe be a servant. I mean, he's rehearsing that speech. He came back because he was hungry, not because he was repentant. Okay, he was broken, but then to be, think about how affected he was by that love. He was so overwhelmed, knowing he didn't deserve it. That changed him more than any speech, more than any, any behavior program. Um, you know, the could have been out there. You can buy it for 20 bucks or whatever. Um, but knowing that you're loved, even when you blow it, we're still going to give you boundaries, but it doesn't affect how much I love my child, how much I cherish you. I will die for you. Now we're just done with behavior. If I'm worried that my worth to you is, is in flux or is in the middle, then everything is too scary. So it really is that loving relationship. And Carl, you just said something. You said that, yeah, he returned home because he was hungry, but he wasn't repenting. But at, but I would think how that applies to us as parents, because I know I've heard parents say that, you know, oh, yeah, they'll welcome back home or I'll take them back. But they have to ask for my forgiveness, that that becomes a condition 
that I will not take them back unless they seek my forgiveness. And there's a lot to learn from that. Is you know, is that the right thing to do? Or like the father, he said, "Hey, I'm just happy that I'm happy that he returned." Right. And if they're coming back saying, "I want to keep living the same way in your house," no, I look for brokenness. Okay, brokenness is he came back going, "I accept full responsibility. I have done this, and I have jacked up my life. I've hurt you." Okay, he didn't. He didn't even get a chance to say anything. And so the father wasn't going, you better apologize for this and this and this. He met him there and loved him right where he was. And so waiting for the apology is more about my pride, uh, more about, you know, I, I'm still holding some bitterness there. If there's brokenness, if there's, wor- if there's a workability there, you step in. You know, you just, you just brought up something called this. It's a great transition to my next question for you. You had mentioned earlier um, about that going through the, the situation with, with your daughter, that God revealed to you arrogance. And that was probably one of the mistakes that you that was spotlighted for you. Um, beyond that, what other mistakes do you think you made now looking at hindsight that you think that you made when it came to Abigail? And what did you learn from those mistakes? Sure. Yeah, I mean, part of it, you know, it all kind of folds in with that arrogance. I, I mean, again, I've got the degree in counseling. My wife has it. I'm a former school teacher, drug rehab counselor team. So ask me, I've got the answers, right? And God took me right to the end where all I had was Him and prayer. And so there, I look back and see there were all the times that I missed that I could have been there with her, either talking or relating or being part of her life. And I missed some of those because I was doing my own thing, thinking I've got it figured out. And so it's funny how uh, we talk, I know you, you have a gym, you work out. So, you know, the idea of training for a triathlon, training for a race, that went so far in the back burner for me. I mean, Joe, think about this, because I'm, I'm a former college athlete. When I go jogging now, I don't wear a watch. I don't time it. God had to break things in me that I had as idols in the way they were stealing time from my marriage and my family. But it took going to that really hard place. Um, so just a number of things that it wasn't bad. I wasn't out doing drugs. You know, I wasn't out gambling. Um, but even good things get in the way, and God had to really deal with me pretty hardly. Yeah, I told you that this was a great transition to this question because you you kind of called me out and didn't even know it when you said that with the prodigal story about you said the father met him where he was. And see, that when I look back in hindsight and I say, God revealed to me in my spirit, what did I do? You know, I I could see all the things I did right, but what did I do wrong? What did I miss it? And I, I probably beat myself up more than I probably should, but God did reveal to me something and he revealed what you just said that I didn't meet my son where he was in his walk. Um, I expected him to be where I was just because he was always around me and with me and, quote, following me. So I just assumed he should be there as opposed to saying, where is he in his walk? And I didn't do that. Even as you say that, I laugh because what we do, I mean, I'm, I'm 45 years old. I want my kids at 14 and 16 to be what took me 45 years. I want them to have that maturity. Now, when you put it that way, Carl, it's not like crazy. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. I'm like, don't you understand? No, they're, you know, their brains are still cooking. Um, but I will say one thing that uh, my, my daughter and I really cherished during that time in that helplessness where I couldn't do anything and everything was so hard. And I mean, she even had a bad concussion in the middle of this. It just felt, I felt like my daughter was Joe for a little while. And you can't take it away. One of the things the guy just kept pouring into me was just let her know you love her. And so one of the things I would do, she would be just sitting there doing her homework and just all this stress and she could be kind of a 14-year-old, kind of, you know, prickly. 
I would walk up, kiss her on the head, and walk away. I gave her no chance to, and uh, like even trying verbally, you know, whatever, go away. She knew I loved her. I walked over, no matter how she'd been acting, I walked over, just gave her a kiss, walked away. She later told me, she goes, Dad, when you did that, I hated it. And later I loved it. You know, but because she said, I knew you loved me and I was trying to push you away. But when you came in and did that, it meant something. And so just offering that love when you're getting anger or, or just blankness in response. Because um, to me, this, this, is, this is how we're supposed to be Christ to our kids. We're to pursue them even if they don't respond. That's how Christ is with us. Thank the Lord. You know, and, and I'm glad you mentioned that about showing her that love. In addition to that, in her knowing, you reassuring that love for her, even though she didn't always wanted to receive it at the time, what else do you think you did right um, as she went through that struggle that you now can look back and say, wow, I could have screwed that up, but I thank God I didn't. <laughs> what else did you do right in addition to loving her? Wow. Um, where God took me was doing just a lot of listening, looking for any open door and where she would up open up, I would just be there. And so I lost a lot of sleep because remember she's up all night. So I, if she was ready to talk at eleven, I was there till one. Um, and not trying to fix it—that's the hard thing, especially as a guy. I want to fix it, but just whatever opportunity she gave, being right there, let her know I love her and I'm with her, and I can handle whatever she's thinking or however late it is. Uh, but that pursuit of her relationally. Even when she's pushing away, you keep pursuing. They need us to do that. They need us to come after them. Um, even though we still have to give boundaries, but they need to know I'm coming after you and I love you passionately where you are. And uh, so a number of years ago, God gave me a great picture of how Christ's love is with us. And when I share this with people, they giggle when they say it hits. Okay, you ready for this? This is deep theology right now. <laughs> okay. Okay. You remember Pepe Le Pew? Yeah, I remember him. Okay. That's Jesus. We're the cat trying to get away. Okay? It's deep. Say with me. But I love that. But I love that cartoon, so I'm, I'm cracking up because I'm thinking, you just called Jesus Pepe Le Pew. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but I think he's always coming after us. And he's always feeling his affection. I love you. He's never going, you jerk, you idiot. I'm leaving you alone. When he grabs us, he kisses all over us. Then when I run away again, he comes after me. He never stops. He never relents. And so I can only be that for my daughter as I let him work on me that way. Because you talk about the other thing I feel like that, that I did right there that God took me into. Um, at some point, all I had was prayer, and I wore out my knees. I wore out time in the morning and the evening and just praying over my daughter, for my daughter, and then praying with authority, praying, you know, kind of going to war. And so Lord taught me how to pray a whole different way. But when that's all I had, we, we say we need to pray first. We do that kind of waving our hands a lot of times. Man, I have so learned to relish prayer even more because I watch the Lord move through the prayer rather than my hands. Yeah, I tell you, oh, you know, people don't know. You know, I bring you on the show, and I tell you, you've been on a, on our show as multiple times, and it's so funny because you you're one of the easiest persons for me to, to interview. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. No one would know this because they can't see my notes, or whatever. But as I'm asking you questions, and I'm jotting down, taking down notes, and I'm listening to your answers, and I'm writing down some of your answers here. 
And it's like, you're already answering the next question before I even ask it. And so I'm like, how does he know what I'm going to ask before I ask? We don't, I haven't sent you any questions of what I was going to ask about. And this is a very um, difficult topic to talk about because it can go in so many different ways, but you're, you're just stacking on the questions. And I'm going back to something you said. Now, I didn't expect the Pepe Le Pew, you know, <laughs> analogy or metaphor, but hey, I but, love but you it. Won't, you won't forget that one. Oh, though. I won't ever forget that. I'm actually going to use that. I'm going to liberate that one. I do like it. that. Man. Do it. But you mentioned something about, I asked you, what'd you do right? But you mentioned about um, listening and not trying to fix it. And the way I always describe that, I said, you need to sit and not solve. You know, that's all they need you to do. But now it's going into the question I want to ask you. And I'm going back to, I told you one of my other, my favorite guests is Eric Terry. And Eric Terry was a guest on our show. And he talked about communication being at the root of every problem in a marriage, in our relationships. He says, if the issue is, he said, no, Joe, but the issue is money. He says, no, Joe, he said, it's our failure to communicate effectively about money. He said, oh, no, we having a sex issue. No, it's not your sex life. It's our failure to communicate about it. And I agree with them. So I have to believe that when it comes to our children and we having issues with our children, it's our failure to communicate effectively with our children. And so my question, and you've already given part of the answer, and I'm sure you're going to add more to it. So what do you suggest are some of the best ways to effectively communicate with that prodigal child, some of the do's and don'ts. And now we know that one is, you said, listen and don't try to fix it. Sit and not solve. What else would you add to that? Sure. And I'm going to take that probably another level deeper because this is what I go into all day long. And I love watching how guys has even designed our brain to work in this. It, it is communication. The, the biggest thing is the relationship. It, it's connecting emotionally and relationally. Um, technically, it's called attachment. Our brain is wired for it. And so it's not just executing communication skills, because ironically, research shows us you can teach communication skills in the moment when you need them, you will not use them. They will not work. Or I can give you the perfect way of saying something that doesn't come across. This is going back to Stephen Cove even. They got to know that you care before they're willing to listen. Okay. And so this is just that communication of being in the moment. What I'm communicating is I love you as you are, where you are. I can hear you, I can listen, and even let them process, and what they're saying is stupid and crazy, and, but let's them figure it out. The biggest message is, when they're saying these things, they're looking at you, or listening, and, they're, and they're really, the question they're asking is, can you accept me right here? Can you love me where I am? Because if it feels like the answer is no, then things start shutting down. But if I get, you can love me and accept me right here, when I know you don't like what I'm doing, then it's emotionally safe to risk to listen. Because now I feel like what you're wanting to offer is in my best interest. But um, again, Stephen Covey, I messed it up. Uh, seek first to be heard, to listen, and then to be heard. Yeah, what he said. Seek to be, uh, seek to understand before you're understood. Right. So letting them pour it out here with you, and you're you're just there with them relationally. They they actually their brain starts working things out differently because they can, and it's a safe place where they know you love them, you care, you don't leave them there. This isn't, hey, whatever you want to do is fine with me. No, I don't. You know I don't agree, but I can sit with you in this place, okay, and let you know that I love you. But the person behind all the behaviors, I love you. I'm committed to you, and I can, I can, I can wrestle with you through this. That's, and in fact, you wait a little longer. This is like Job's friends didn't get the memo up front. Just sit with the guy. Sit with him longer than you think you need to. Okay, that's where we earn the right to then speak and say anything and have credibility. 
Otherwise, they just hear Charlie Brown's teacher telling what I need to do, how I need to do it, and it bounces off their head. And see, and I'm thinking, because you're, you're absolutely right, you could teach people techniques all day long and strategies on say this, do this. Um, but when it comes down to it, that there still has to be a connection. And sometimes it's not it's not what you say is what you don't say and the timing of it. And I think even some practical advice when it comes to, like you said, if it's not strategy is don't lie. Tell the truth. You know, be honest in your communication. Um, be consistent with your communication. And like you said about not trying to fix it, um, don't stand in judgment of the person. You know, it doesn't mean that you shut off your brain, but at that particular moment in time, they don't need your judgment. They need your love and they need your heart and they need to know that you're listening to them. You know, I, I know one of the things I tell parents all the time is that when they, they say, well, Joe, I try to nip this stuff in the bud because I'm always communicating with my kids. I say, are you really communicating or are you just talking or are you listening? Are, are you broadcasting yeah. or are you receiving? <laughs> That's right. Are you broadcasting or are you receiving? Because there is a difference. And I know with my kids, I'm very intentional when they're in the car with me, even though my son is grown now, um, that he knows and he's been this way since he was in middle school is that we don't listen to um, the car radio and they can't, they're not allowed to use their cell phones while they're in the car. We have to talk. And initially people asked me, they said, your kids don't rebel against that. I said, no, you're thinking that I'm going to be lecturing my kids when they get in the car with me. No, when we get in the car and they shut off their cell phones and we don't listen to music, all I do is ask questions and I listen. And it's amazing how they think I'm a great conversationalist when they're doing all the talking. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I get it. People, I mean, people tell me, you know, Carl, you have all these brilliant insights. I'm like, all I do is listen. And you kind of figure a lot on your own, but I'm, I'm, I'm part of the training is to shut up. Um, but I remember when I worked at the drug rehab with teenagers. So think about it. this. Are, these are teenagers that got so messed up that they're actually an inpatient drug rehab. And you get them in there and their brains clear a little bit. And you start talking to them, and they would come and tell me. The first time I heard this, I thought they were still stoned. But I kept hearing this, and I was amazed. They said, I wish my parents set more limits for me. I'm like, you, you can't wait to break a rule. They said, not that I would just obey it, but I know they care. And then they said, I wish my parents listened to me. I know what I'm saying may not make sense or they don't agree, but I wish they listened. Instead, they argue, they tell me I'm wrong, they tell me what I need to do, so I just shut down. So it's creating those opportunities to listen, asking good questions, like I said, not judging, um, but also when you do, because they're going to say things, we'll need to confront it in some way. This is the idea of speaking the truth and love. If I can say, here's why I don't like you to do that, because I think it's harmful to you versus you're doing it wrong and not only, you're going to get in trouble. I think this is damaging to you. They're getting the idea. I'm doing this because I love you versus you're going to embarrass me. So when they get the idea that uh, the reason I'm protesting or, or disagreeing with what you're talking about is not because I'm right, you're wrong, but man, I love you and please don't do that. I think that's what the Ten Commandments are about. God's saying, please don't do these because I don't want you to get hurt. You know, and you mentioned about um, asking good questions. A lot of times, and I'm sure you run into this a lot, Carl, when parents are asking you, but call, I can't get my kids to talk to me. You know, I, I they come home from school and I say, okay, um, you know, how was school? It's all right. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Anything happened at school today? Well, no. Anything interesting? No. You want to talk about it? No. And then they go get their cell phones or lock themselves in their room. 
And so you're right. It's not just about just talking, but it's asking good questions. And I'm going to share with you some questions that I asked that my family now knows that they, they expected to come. But I can't wait to hear um, some of the questions you think we should be asking our kids on a more consistent basis. Now, when my kids come from school, or well, if I pick them up from school, um, I, I follow this um, acrostic, GLAD, G-L-A-D. And I ask them, what was good about school today? Now, you see the difference? I didn't ask, was school good today? <laughs> what was good about school today? And if my son or daughter tells me, Dad, there was nothing good about school. Well, tell me what was bad about it. It's an open-ended question. And the L stands for learn. What did you learn at school today? Because I want them to get in the, the process of actually thinking they're going to teach me something when I pick them up and when I see them. Yeah, I remember I, I joke about how my son, he had said one time when I picked him up, he said, Dad, I didn't learn anything in school today. And I turned the car around. He said, Dad, where are you going? I said, back to that school. I said, you spent about, what, seven hours there and you didn't learn anything? He said, Dad, I think I learned something. I said, well, you better speak fast because we're getting close. And so... He, so he anticipates me asking him that question. So does my daughter. And the A I ask him is, what made you angry at school today? What got you upset? What didn't go your way? What made you sad? What hurt your feelings? And they don't always have an answer for that. But you see the reason why I ask it, because I want to see if there's something that's bubbling under the surface that I don't want to explode. If I kind of get them to start talking about it now, I don't have to worry about my kid going back and shooting everybody at school. Right. You know? yeah. We never saw it coming. Where did That's come? right. We never saw it coming. Right. You know, so my thing is to ask that question every day. And the D stands for what tough decision did you encounter today? You know, when they have to go with the peer pressure and or going against their values and what we taught them and that kind of thing where they were forced. And the key is I don't try to judge their answers when they give me these answers. Now for my daughter, she struggled with that D with decisions. So I started asking Faith, Faith, did any drama, tell me about the drama that happened at school today. And she couldn't stop talking. And so they anticipate me asking questions like that, but I can't wait to hear from you. What, what other questions can we give dads out there to ask better questions, to get their kids to talk? Cause I really do the talk. And after I ask those questions, I just shut up and start listening. So what would you what question do would you share with us? So first of all, it's evident you built the trust where they're willing to engage. And they know you're gonna listen, so you got a much easier entry point there. I'm giggling because when I've I've tried to kind of create some of these with my kids, and having two parents as counselors, they go, No, we're not playing the counseling game. <laughs> okay. It's so it's really funny because you know, I am kind of, they're 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 too savvy. Um, so I'm going to answer this in a way for parents who don't have the entry point. Right, right. Who, like you said, their kids come home and you get those one-word answers. How's your day? Fine. What happened? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> okay, then they're up with their headphones on. You don't see them for three hours until they want to eat. Um, so really, in those cases, you're looking for entry points where you may bounce up against the wall and you ask, we get stuck, at, we get stuck in interrogation, but we want information like I said, want to ask a good question and, and, and elicit their their experience. So, you know, you wait for what they're describing, and then you go into their experience. Like, you're, like you're meeting somebody new at a cocktail party. What was it like for you? Okay, I'm going to focus on your experience. What do you think about that? Well, so-and-so came to school. They were stoned. They were drunk. Okay, wow, what was it like for you to be there? Well, it was kind of funny, um, but then it's a little scared, and you, you don't go into lecture. Okay, once you go into lecture mode, you're done. They're not sharing with you. Um... But you, you kind of just elicit their response and try to walk alongside of it and make sense of it. Really, so you thought it was kind of funny, and even though you know somebody could get arrested with that, but okay, so that's kind of where those. That's where you start, and you'll find when we feel like we're being listened to, or somebody's attending and asking more questions to draw out my thinking. Wow, I think they're smart, 
and I start sharing more of my experience, and now there's a closeness, what you'll find with your kids when you do this, they may start and then you may watch the door close. Because now they realize, wait a minute, I've opened the door and I can't do that. You let them. You acknowledge, hey, th even what they're offering, hey, thanks for talking to me. You acknowledge it out loud like that. I appreciate you just kind of sharing your thoughts with me. That, that, that's, that means a lot. And you look for the next opportunity, you'll see more and more come along. Because they're bracing for the lecture. They're bracing for you know, this great, profound learning experience we want to offer. Um, we get the, these little snippets of time with them, and we think they need our information. They've got the information. They've watched us. They've absorbed it. They're wondering if we can get into their world. As we do that, then we have credibility and go, hey, you know I don't approve of that, but I appreciate you telling me about X and Y and Z. Um, so if you can use GLAD, that's, those are great tools to get in. What your highs and lows are another good one um, you can do around the dinner table. I love what you do as far as uh, no phones in, you know, or no radio in the car. You create these environments where it's quiet. And initially, they rebel. I hate this. It's stupid. But out of that quiet, out of that vacuum, they start being a little more willing to talk. And you, then they are actually kind of look forward to it. Yeah, I know even with um, my kids now, if I if they see my phone go off, they'll look at me like, why is your phone on? <laughs> you know, we're supposed to be talking right now. But I, I wrote down some of these questions and, and you write and, and I call them digging questions. What you, say, you say, what was it like for you and getting their their point of view? What do you think about that? I think which is a great question. What do you think that you value their opinion? Um, I added to that. How does that make you feel? You know, how did that make you feel? Or what would you do if you were in that situation? You know, anything to get them to do the talking and you'll be shocked on how much and how savvy your kids are, because that's what I'm realizing that, wow, my children can handle themselves better than I thought they could, <laughs> you know, based on their line of thinking. And of course, there's some stuff I'm like, I don't agree with, but I don't use it at that time to correct it. Right. I just want exactly. to hear what's on their heart. Because they're waiting for the flip. They're waiting for the bait and switch. You're talking to me. I'm waiting for the lecture, and now you're going to zap me for I how I did it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, see, I ain't doing that again. <laughs> right. But when you're in there, yeah, you're listening to their thinking, and, and you better be tuned in, which means you don't pick up that phone. You better not text, Facebook, anything. Unless you know somebody is dying, you are locked into what they're doing because that by itself, that gaze, that attention communicates, I am worth your time. I am worth you paying attention to, and that is feeling loved and cared for, and that carries the message deep uh, into their own self-worth, which makes them less likely to be a prodigal, actually. Right, right. And Carl, we get into the end of the show, but uh, I want to leave you enough time to to share as much or as little as you want to, because we we covered. I think we've covered a lot um, in the past forty five minutes. Um, but I wanted you to get, leave us leave the fathers with some advice, or even with the mothers. I know we have some women out there listening. Um, whose children's um, lives seem to be spiraling a little bit out of control. Uh, what lessons do you want us to take away? What would you, and this is not just based on your experience with your own child with Abigail, but with the numerous um, clients that you've, you've been able to counsel and deal with, what advice would you give us? Uh, first and foremost, most concretely, get connected. Do not stay isolated. Um, that, that, that's, that's, that's death. Um, because you get stuck in the, the stress, the strain, the despair. We're designed to be the body of Christ. So find safe people and ask them to walk with you through this, not to give you solutions, but to walk with you, to pray with you and for you as you do this, because that lets the Lord minister th through you to your kids and through the people to you, because uh, this, is, this is a long haul. It's not just a, a brief blip. 
So first and foremost, get connected there. Um, and one of the things that God really took me into was wrap both arms and give a big wet kiss to the idea of being dependent, totally, completely dependent on Christ, that he is in this. Either God is loving and he, he's who he says he is, or we're doomed. And there's no between the heat. And one of the things that God, two things that God really hit me with as I've been reflecting, because uh, I've learned that God asks a lot of rhetorical questions. You know, I asked Carl, do you really think you love your daughter more than I do? Okay, yes, I thought I did. And Carl, do you really think things only change when you make them change? Okay, so I, go, I, I think back to uh, Moses when Miriam put him in, in the raft and let go of, of him on the river. That's helplessness. A wave could knock that thing over. The Egyptians could toss it over. Bad things can't happen. The Lord is in this. He is in and around your child more than we're aware of. So you pray over the environment, over the people, over their mind. And I know I'm beating the same drum, but that's where God took me to. And then you look for the open doors. You look for the opportunities. You look for wise counsel. Okay, because there's a time when you got to take a kid and pull them out of their environment. If it's put them in treatment, if it's, you know, change certain things in the world, change their school, there's a place to do that. Beware of our panic to over-control or under, or under control, which means if I love them enough, they'll, they'll be fine. And you set no boundaries. So that's why we need people to walk us through that to keep us from getting off track. Oh, this is fantastic, man. Um, this is going to be some great notes <laughs> that we could add to this show. But this is good stuff, man. And I'm so glad that you, you came on today because we, now we, we reached the end of the show. But, Carl, thank you so much. I, I know you're you know, your personal friend. And you're going to make multiple appearances on our show because you're all there's so much uh, information that you have to share with us. But thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule because I know you have a client coming in right after this <laughs> after this interview. But thank yeah. you so much for being on the show today, man. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. And again, I just appreciate your friendship and I like the way we kind of play off each other. Um, so anytime I can be of help, glad to do that. And Carl, we mentioned um, the porn antidote, even though we're not talking about pornography on this particular issue, but it could be their prodigal dealing with the issue. But if they wanted to find out more about you or and get in contact with you or even get a copy of your book, how could they, they follow up with you? Uh, great question. Uh, the, the, of course, the book is called The Porn Antidote, and you can find that on Amazon. They have that on Kindle as well. If you want to contact me, you can go to my website, and that's carlstuartlpc.org. Uh, that's uh, Carl with a C, Stuart, S-T-E-W-A-R-T, lpc.org. And you can find out more about me, what I do, uh, classes that I'm teaching coming up. So, uh, yeah, go have a look. All right. And we'll make sure that that's in the show notes so they can reach out to you and connect with you. And to so all our people out there listening, thank you guys so much for listening. And, of course, please do us a favor. And this is so important. Take about 30 seconds to go over to iTunes and rate the program for us. It's the best way to help us get this program in the hands, ears, and hearts of men just like you. And please don't keep us a secret. Share us with your friends. Like, I know you're going to want to share this episode because I know there's a lot of fathers out there who are stressing out and have anxiety attacks because they're thinking, what is wrong with this child? Is this really, does this, did this child really come from my gene pool? <laughs> but no, I'm hoping that Carl gave you guys some hope today. So please share this episode with as many friends as you possibly can. Until next time, I'm Joe Martin, your man builder with realmenconnect.com, reminding you that we are males by birth, but we are men by choice. So each and every day, choose to be the man God called and created you to be because a male is a terrible thing to waste. So until next time, stay strong, stay blessed, and as always, stay in his grip. Thank you for listening to the Real Men Connect podcast with Dr. Joe Martin. Real Men Connect isn't just a podcast. It's a mission, ministry, and movement. 
to help good men become the great men God called and created us to be. And the best is yet to come. So if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and leave us a review in iTunes. It really helps us to build the podcast and to reach, teach, and impact more men, all for the glory of God. And make sure you check out realmenconnect.com to get our free tools and resources to help you go from good man to great man God's way. Again, that's realmenconnect.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Real Men Connect is a listener-supported podcast, and we're now the number one radio podcast on iTunes for Christian men. If this podcast has blessed you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to bless and transform the lives of even more husbands, fathers, sons, and leaders, please prayerfully consider supporting this ministry. Just go to realmenconnect.com and click on the donate button. And may God bless your faithful giving.